Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are coming to you live from a couple of places on the internet. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, X or Twitter or whatever they're calling it these days. Doesn't really matter. Twitter. Yes, we're calling it. We're going to Twitter. And maybe you're listening later. Spotify. Android, Apple. I like. I like that you're always trying to guess with people. It's not, you're never going to get a yes. You're not going to get like you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Alex, for identifying yeah. my platform. No, it's not going to happen. Anyway, wherever you are listening, we really appreciate it. We have a great show for you. Uh, Pete is off today, uh, but Justin and I are here to usher you through the world of comic books. That we... <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. We're ushers, and we want to welcome you through. Please sit down. Don't put your feet up. Mm-hmm. Um, don't use your phone unless you're watching on your phone in which case please use your phone please use your phone exactly. confusing confusing if people are like oh phone down phone up phone out down inevitable inevitable you know what else is inevitable our guest this evening who we are very excited to bring in he among many many other things is the creator of the new upcoming book where the body was ladies and gentlemen ed brubaker ed welcome hey. to the show hey, hey. thanks for having me Oh my gosh, so excited to have you here. I want to, I should have asked you this before we went on, but I wanted to clarify something first. When does this book come out? Oh, the book comes out in mid-December in comic stores and early January in bookstores. Okay, all right. I was seeing multiple dates, so I guess it's... Yeah, no, it's because we switched from Diamond, so Mm, we have two different distributors now, so we didn't want to be the very last uh, book distributed by Diamond, so we pushed it into... Technical. Yeah. <laughs> so nice though. The book could have like walked out, shut a look, took one last look back, shut off the light. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the diamond light. Yeah, no, it was just uh, you know, because image moved to Simon and Schuster for right, the right. Um, book market and we wanted to to go that route uh, with this one because it's such a aimed at the book market kind of book in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, that- all our stuff kind of is aimed at both markets, really. Uh, well, for sure. And I definitely want to talk about that, but let's just set up what, where the body was, is first. I mean, we read this book, we're not, we won't get into any spoilers. You don't want us to, but <laughs> I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. And also a very different book for you and Sean Phillips, yeah. even though it seems like it's framed as a crime book. It's not a, I, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it exactly as a crime book. How would you, how, what would you call it? I mean, there's crime in it. I just, mm-hmm. I feel like um, if you put the same, if you put the story in a different order, probably it would just, you know, seem you could put it in the order of a crime book, but the way the story is told from all the different points of view, it almost seems more like a true crime podcast or something, mm-hmm. right. you know, or like, or a, um, a collection of short stories or like a, a Tom Parada book or something where it's like every narrator has, tells you their part and you're like, Oh wait. Um, 
I, I always wanted to do something like that. And, um, and I just thought it'd be really cool to do something like that. That was also a crime story. Mm-hmm. And then as I was writing it, like the characters just take over so much, uh, you know, cause they each have their own, you know, stories to tell and desires and fucked up thoughts. And you get a lot of real connection, exposure, intimacy with the characters. I feel like, uh, there's a some sort of direct panel uh, talking that happens that I found yeah. sort of like oh god you're looking right at me like, yeah <laughs> yeah that's like um, one of the things I really wanted to do with this book was was do things you could only do in comics in a lot of ways I mean people do that in movies like someone will just you know like flea bag or something they'll turn yeah. and talk to the screen or you know lots of movies have done that over time but. I just always thought of it as a comic book thing. Like as a kid reading like Charlie Brown, he's like walking down the street, just sort of talking to you and explaining his thoughts. And um, when I first broke into comics, I, I did these sort of loosely autobiographical comics, this series, Low Life. Um, and it was heavily influenced by Harvey Picard, the guy that did American Splendor. And I remember the first time I read American Splendor, it was like all drawn by Robert Crumb. And it was just this, kind of grungy looking guy standing there and talking right at you with these giant word balloons. And uh, I'd never done anything like that in, in any of me and Sean's stuff. So I just thought, okay, let's, let's do weird things. Let's break the fourth wall. Let's, you know, let's have people age between scenes. Let's, you know, let's really do things that comics can do that, that no other medium can really get away with as well. Um, I do want to get back to this in a second, but before I forget, I should probably mention that every week on the show, we have a professional chef, and this is true, down in New Orleans named Brett Macris called Straight Bullet, who's on the stream right now, and he either curates or designs a cocktail for us, Uh, and this week he did one inspired by the book called Where the Bourbon Was. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's a it's a mix of uh, bourbon chair liqueur with a cinnamon whipped cream floater, and you you drop some like cinnamon through flame to light it up. It's pretty delicious. It, That's awesome. It, <laughs> your uh, whipped cream mustache this entire show, but there you go. <laughs> uh, but back to the book. Uh, wait for the cocktail, unless you wanted to say more about the cocktail, Justin. I love it. It's uh, perfect for the holidays. Sit by the fire, read this book, and sip some bourbon. You'll find where the bourbon is very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the body takes a while while to get to. (laughs) Exactly. There's no mystery here. Yeah. Um, So you were mentioning, though, you this is a very different mode for you and Sean Phillips. What was his reaction when you brought this to him, what were the challenges for him, if anything, not to make you talk about um, going on with him artistically? Well, it's, I just sort of had this bolt of inspiration when he was, uh, we were, I, we were almost done with night fever and I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I was kind of stuck on, it's weird. I have like kind of a rough idea of what to do for the seventh reckless book, but I'm still stuck figuring out the sixth one which is oh. like a, a, you know, a series, a series book problem. Um, but so I was like, oh, maybe we should just do another new thing. And then suddenly I was, I was moving some books around in my, in my office. And, and I was looking at some of those old paperback map back covers. And I thought, oh, you know, I always wanted to do something like that, where it was like all on a location, like all the different characters were in the sort of same location. You could have a map. And then I just started thinking about like, oh, well, what would that be? And I had like 
three different stories that I had sort of started notebooking at different points to be like a full book. And, and I didn't feel like, you know, like they just never stuck really. And then suddenly I was like, well, who would be the people in these houses? And I started seeing the connections. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That could all be happening at the same time. And they're like sort of rippling off of each other and causing these things to happen and these complications. And, and then I just like grabbed a notebook. I usually have like a bunch of spare, um, spare notebooks from this, this company. Yeah, yeah. Bridge. Um, I just like the the feel of their paper and their notebooks are pretty big. Um, and I just grabbed the notebook and I spent like three days just sort of trying to sort of make a loose map of the street and who all the people were and what they what their lives were. And I filled up pretty much a whole notebook with the outline and like all the different stuff. And then writing it was really sort of more about figuring out what chapters to put in what order kind of. Um, but yeah, it was just a real big burst of inspiration. And um, and then I just sort of told Sean and sent him like, uh, I made my wife do like a sketch of the street to try to give him an idea yeah. of like how to do the map. And then um, he was really into, I mean, he always likes to try to do something different. And for that, because we had designed the street first, he like actually found someone uh, one of his uh, one of his Instagram followers or something who who makes 3D like an architect or somebody who made like oh, a whole wow. 3D model based on that and then Sean sort of you know redid it but like so Sean could use that when he was penciling the book so all the houses are exactly where they're supposed to be and look at you know hmm. it, all the wow, shrubbery awesome. and stuff was not in it obviously because those programs don't do so good with that but but um <laughs> but yeah so it was like it was really interesting. And I, it's funny, I talked to someone else and um, I can't remember what the book is, but one of the Scotty Young books, like the artist hired someone to actually design like this entire 3D model of like a Victorian house so that they could use it. And mm. it, it really saves time on drawing backgrounds in the pencils at least. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. Uh, now uh, you said you filled up a whole notebook. So yeah. does that mean going from that, are you editing there? Are you like, ah, yeah, yeah, I, I know way so more. Much. Yeah. Yeah. I had way, I had probably another hundred pages of stuff that I could have jammed into that story somehow, like different other characters that didn't ha end up having storylines. And it's, it's kind of always how it is. Like you write, you write a bunch of stuff and then the story that ends up is like the, the stuff that you actually need to, in, to make the story right. work. So it's, it's always better to know too much than too little. Are you ever uh, cutting just, stuff? Sorry, are you ever cutting stuff that Sean's already drawn? Uh, and it's like no, it's it's it. really you know it's really rare. Um, I mean, it's it's because of the way comics teaches you, especially if you come out of like monthly comics, like you're used to sort of writing it a chapter at a time and getting it right and then moving forward. And it's like the one thing that I do when we finish our books, like I usually have a pretty good outline of the book ahead of time. And then I send it to Sean a chapter or two at a time. And, you know, so he's drawing it while I'm still writing it, but I know where mm. it's going. Um, but the one thing that I do when it's all done and Sean has it all lettered and in a P he'll send me a PDF of all the ink lettered pages while Jake's coloring it and I'll go over it and I'll, I'll usually make a bunch of little minor changes or like, Sometimes like some caption feels like, oh, we don't really need that caption there, which is, you know, drive Sean crazy because then he has to draw it, like take it out yeah. and draw it back. Because <laughs> he letters right on the page. So he has to like draw right. a background on the digital file. And 
Um, but like stuff like that, like I'll edit stuff or sometimes like some line of dialogue just feels really cheesy after I see the whole book done and I'm like, all right, and I'll rewrite stuff. But it gives me like one chance to polish it all to when my, when I have the whole book, I have like a month where I just kind of read it every day and sort of send Sean, you know, too many notes about minor little changes to do. Uh, I just wanted to mention real briefly, I think the Scotty Young book you're talking about is the me you love in the dark. Oh yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. 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 Great book. Great book. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, to ask you like a little further about coming at this almost character first, which I find really fascinating. Do you, do you think of real people as reference or do these people emerge whole cloth out of your imagination as you flesh them out on the page? Well, I mean, there's most, there's different theories about that. Like some writers will tell you every character is some part of yourself. And I think that's true to large degree, but yeah, I, I mean, there's 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 pieces of me and all the different characters but they're also sort of inspired by different people too like the the young guy and girl in the book are sort of you know loosely inspired by me and like a girl that i knew in the summer of 84 um and like the the therapist and his wife uh, are based on you know loosely inspired by like a guy that shared an office with my uncle who may or may not have tried to kill his wife um <laughs> so stuff I, like that i feel like, like i know the i feel like i know the answer to that yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i don't want to spoil the book for anybody but um but it's it, you know I, I always start from character and then the plot sort of comes out of that like i'll have an idea for you know a character in a situation but i don't you know like i, I think plot is sort of like the spine that you that what you really want goes around like i'm not a very high concept writer you know like if my high concept is all these people live on on the same street yeah i was gonna say it's the high concept as our lives in the suburbs yeah (laughs) but i mean but that's the kind of books that we've always done you know in a way it's like every now and then they sound commercial or something but really they're just stories about people making mistakes falling in love being heartbroken well, and like murdering I, people, okay. <laughs> a murder here or there between yeah. the neighborhood. There's a lot of murder. Well. There's a lot of sex in this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't I know it? Reading yeah. it on the, on the subway in Brooklyn, fairly graphic sex in it. Oh, you were reading it on the subway? Wow. Okay. I was like, well, I was I was rereading it uh, today on the subway, and I was like, oh right, I can have to scan quickly through a lot of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Family of seven, right over hovering over my shoulder. Yeah, um, when the, I showed. I showed some of the pages to my friend Chip Zdarsky and then I showed him the cover and he's like, this is the most nudity you've ever had in a book. And there's like a dead guy on the cover. <laughs> like, Don't let anyone know. <laughs> Hilarious. He's like, flip that. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I was really impressed about with the book was the pacing of it in terms of how it lays out answers about our characters. I'm not going to mention anything specific again, what's coming out in a while, but at this point you've done so many of those. Is that an instinctual thing to know? Okay. By about page 25 or so, the reader is going to be really wondering about this thing. I got to start answering this thing there. Um, yeah, it's probably instinct at this point. I think also like you're always trying to keep yourself entertained and make sure that you're that you're doling out, you know, whatever information that you need to know about the different characters. Um, 
at the right pace. Um, I think at this point, just because I've written so much stuff that um, when I, when I, what I really try to do now is just make sure everybody can understand characters and then try to do things that people weren't expecting to happen, you know, but, but yeah. that also feel like, Oh yeah, that's what would happen. You know, it's like that, that's, there's always like uh, with any story you want it to feel both familiar and surprising at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. So um yeah, I think I think a lot of it is is just with with so many different characters in a story, it was kind of important more than anything to to know who's whose parts of the story would go first. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was really the timeline part of it was was a lot to wrap my head around. Like I looked back at the map a lot when I was working. <laughs> I just had it like tacked up on the wall next to my desk so I could mm -hmm. see where everybody was supposed to be and when. That's awesome. but yeah, like you don't even meet the private eye until you're almost halfway through the book. <laughs> right, yeah. like There's, there were various times reading the book when I was like, wait, you don't think that guy is? And then I'd flip the page and be like, oh, he is. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. It was very nicely paced out that way. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's really important not to see who 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 the head of the guy on the cover. <laughs> yeah. But you can't really because then it, the book feels so much more tense if you're reading it and and you're like, wait, is that guy going to be the guy who gets killed or who gets killed? <laughs> and it's something that I think our brains are programmed now to we always have that tickling in so much of the things we watch and yeah. read. Like, who's going to die here? I know someone does. It's yeah, there's this thing. I wonder if it's to do with that, um, you know, we so much of of the way we watch shows with like marathoning and stuff is like you're watching it and you're like well i just want to get to the answer you know and and this sense of right. i remember when i first started reading mystery books i worked at a used bookstore and i would start read i would just pick up some trash mystery when i was like bored and, and no one was coming in i was working till midnight or something i'd be like all right i'll start reading this and if i don't finish it by the end of the shift i'll flip to the end and find out who did it and, you know, and I feel like a lot of people like watch TV or movies that way now where they're just are like fast forwarding through parts that seem like, ah, I don't really care about this character. And um, yeah, so that but that that sense of like always trying to figure things out or guess, I feel like is something you can really utilize as a writer with your with your readers, because if you can. Yeah, well, that, to know. that point, then, do you think, and I'm really trying to skirt spoilers here, but do you think there's a certain sense of, like, working against that with this book? Because, again, reading it, while I was trying to figure out mysteries about the characters, you, like you're saying, you live in this world so much with these people and you learn to care about them by the end. The mystery is almost secondary at a certain Yeah, point. yeah. Uh, was this something you were working against, that sort of a figure-it-out brain? Um, well, I knew people when reading the book would be waiting for someone to be dead on the street because it's right there on the map. Mm -hmm. A really funny thing was for a long time while we were working on the book, I couldn't come up with a name for it, even though I had written, I had, we'd made the, the early version of the map that had the little legend. And it wasn't until one day I was just looking at the map and I just read the legend again and I got to the bottom where it said where the body was and I was like oh that's a great name for the book because <laughs> <laughs> I kept trying to come up with something that felt like really evocative of both a mystery thing or like a, a crime story but also that felt evocative of the span of time of your life kind of like because for me the book is really about um 
just sort of people and how people change as they at different ages kind of like all the different characters are are sort of struggling with like love and desire and desperation and they're all at different places in their life so they're all dealing with it completely differently like you know the unhappy unhappy wife who you know is lives next door to the you know the sort of chip on his shoulder you know cop (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh there's a that makes me want to talk about that but I won't. The uh way <laughs> the book is sort of like nostal- I feel like you have nostalgia and you're in the back matter which is so nice to read. Yeah. Right after it. It's you don't add a ton of detail but you feel your emotion come through there in such a way and you can tell you're nostalgic for it. But rereading it today I was like the characters are anti-nostalgia. They're like they're so out on it. And I, I'm I'm so curious how that switch flipped so hard for a, a story that feels like you have a lot of looking back on your life. Um, well, I'm old enough now that when I look back at my teen years or my youth, I, like, I, you, you know, like, we all have those moments where you're like, you just suddenly remember that thing, that stupid thing you said that one time or that time you got way too drunk that you still regret, you know, like, we all have those. And, but now I, I feel like I'm old enough that I give myself a lot more slack because, you know, like, I realize like, okay, well, all that stuff had to happen for me to be where I am in life anyway. And so I, I feel like I give myself a lot more slack. So I'm sort of, nostalgic for times and people sometimes but but like i feel like everything sort of went the way it was supposed to go so when i was writing all the different characters i just kind of thought um i don't know it's something about being able to write a wider cast of characters you can sort of be more brutal about being able to get inside their heads you know when you're writing just like a single character there's a certain assumption that you're writing about yourself, even when you aren't, but when you're writing about a lot more people, you can actually like let them sort of let their shit hang out a little bit more and show yeah. their, yeah. their, their sort of the things that they're scared of about themselves, you know, or, or the things that they're desperate or lonely or, you know, everyone's desperate and lonely on some level, you know? And, and I think sometimes, when you're writing like a superhero story or a crime story or something, you can forget to put that part in. And it's like, well, that's where the crime comes from is the desperation mm-hmm. and the loneliness. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's but, so yeah. interesting to hear you talk about this just because my assumption would be focusing on one character, you get to drive it on them even more because you spend more time with them, but it doesn't seem to be that way for you. I mean, I, well, it really depends on what on the story you're telling like when you want to write something that that sort of grapples more with like a like like this started out as a crime story but as i was outlining it i realized like oh this is the romance comic that sean wanted me to write like five years ago when i wrote my heroes have always been junkies which is very much not a romance comic (laughs) (laughs) and uh and um uh, this one is much more like a romance comic in a way and also nostalgic and also has crime. And, you know, it just feels like it runs sort of the gamut of human existence. Mm-hmm. And so doing a thing like that, I really felt the need to have a bunch of different main characters who, cause everyone's, you know, we all experience similar things, but we also feel differently about, you know, life and, and the things that happen to us in it. And, you know, 
everyone everyone understands jealousy and resentment but also you know not everyone understands you know a deep love or passion you know it's like we all experience it all differently but we're all sort of coming at the same stuff and so for me it just seemed like you know let's make it a big sprawling mess like mm -hmm. like life feels most of the time well and also with a larger cast they sort of have to say their deep truth quickly like, yeah that's true other. yeah yeah you you do get a lot of story it's funny i was thinking when i was telling my wife about it uh before, while i was working on it she said oh kind of like that movie shortcuts and i was like oh yeah <laughs> i remember i was like oh yeah there's like a serial killer in that movie actually that's right <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Chris Penn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like spoilers. Yeah, spoilers for a 40 year old movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. I, I did want to ask you, and this is a bit of a broader question, but since you brought up the romance comment of, of it all, I, I was very glad to hear you say that and glad to hear you touch on that because reading the book, I was like, wait, is this a romance comic? And then validation it is. Yeah. But there, there seems to be a retaking of romance comics really in the past year or so in comics through this, through Tom King, I know is riffing on it in yeah. Love Everlasting. Uh, there's also She-Hulk over in Marvel, which is pretty much straight up a romance comic as well. Why do you think that's coming back now? Oh, uh, probably because <laughs> um, just like when romance comics became a big deal the first time was when superheroes were dying in the, mm -hmm. in the market. Like I feel like comics are in this really interesting place where like, I mean, depending on who you listen to, like, uh, you know, the, the superhero stuff isn't doing as well as it was, you know, even three or four years ago anymore. And I feel like comics had this interesting thing happen in like the 60s and 70s where they were the first publishing industry where the fans kind of took over. And so mm -hmm. comics is always artificially... Uh, kept superheroes going until there's like another boom. And then, you know, they never just are like superheroes aren't selling anymore. And then they go back to only doing like five or 10 of them like they did in the 50s. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a period of time where the only superhero comics that came out were like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and uh, Captain Marvel, maybe the mm -hmm. Shazam Captain Marvel. Like yeah. for years, those were the only superhero comics that came out. And they all sold like a million copies, but nobody cared about any other. And but so I wonder if to some degree comics are hitting that point again where it's time to start throwing different shit at the wall and see what sticks, you know, because that's how crime comics and horror comics and romance comics ended up being the, you know, the publishers back then were just businessmen. They didn't care about the art form at all. They were just like, hey, these aren't selling. What's selling? Make more of that, you know. So yeah. I suspect creatively, uh, romance comics are just a really funny and interesting kind of uh, part of the history of comics because like romance comics were created by the same people that created Captain America. Mm -hmm. Like Kirby, Simon and Kirby did the first one, you know? <laughs> so yeah. It's kind of weird. And John Romita, who's like everyone's favorite Spider-Man artist was like the best like romance comic artist ever. So for me, it was just, you know, they were like the comics you'd get teased by if your friends saw them in your pile when I was a little kid, <laughs> you know, like I would hide my, but I would, I would buy them for the John Romita covers usually. And, you know, 
I'm pretty sure like my first crush in life was like a drawing by John Ramita. I mean, just to keep this broad for a second, just because this has been so much of the zeitgeist is the whole, our comics dying discussion is cropping up once again, big time. I know Tom Brevoort likes to joke comics dying since 1935 because it crops up every 20 years or so, but you're in a very specific place where you revolutionized a lot of stories in superhero comic books and then have mostly not struck out on your own, but with Sean Phillips, with other creators, and have built a cottage industry behind you with books like this, with Grimm, yeah. et cetera. So what's your take on that? Are yeah. our comics dying now or are I mean, they just perennially dying? I'm probably the wrong person to ask because our stuff is basically, you know, I mean, our, our readership is really steady and growing. You know, I'm working on like TV show and movie adaptations of our books, which will hopefully bring our work to even bigger audiences. Um, but also we've spent 20 years, uh, you know, building a body of work and, and you know, and a relationship with comic book store retailers so that, like they know when like when we're putting out a new graphic novel they generally know how many they can sell like you know ballpark at least so wow. like they we we get orders for our graphic novels that are like the first issue of a comic you know so they're not like just ordering enough to get through a week at a time like they would on, on a lot of other graphic novels so we're really in a, an incredibly lucky spot you know but we've also like spent 20 years doing like two books a year for and and you know a lot of outreach to retailers to to sort of get them on board and so we have a really loyal following among both retailers and comic readers and you know and, and beyond that like you know book market is you know probably 40 percent of our sales at this point so we still do most of our 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 audiences in comic stores um it feels to me like from a from a fan perspective that the as super stories get super complex, everyone's like, ah, I don't know what's happening. And that's why romance comics, stuff like that, then pops like horror. Yeah. Simple well, storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it's it's frustrating having been there. It's like I, my ideas of what comic Marvel or DC should do to try to revitalize things are the kind of things that might like not work for them because they've built a giant machine and the machine needs to keep running. Like I always thought the Marvel bankruptcy was like the best thing that ever happened to Marvel because they could kind of start over small and build. And then, but now everything's so big, like both of these companies publish like, like 50 to 75 books a month or something. And it's less, and there's crossover. When I first started at Marvel, we did one crossover a year. And even that yeah. was like, you didn't have to participate if you didn't want to. Like I did one issue for a Captain America thing and I barely did anything with Civil War because I knew coming out of it, I was doing the death of Cap. So yeah. like, but what, what really feels like just from an outsider perspective, because this is not, you know, I don't, I don't buy a lot of these books anymore. I follow stuff my friends do, but I'm so far behind on most of that stuff. Um, but it feels like we, there used to always be like, five or six books from each company that everybody was like, just loved and was kind of obsessed right. with. And it doesn't feel like they have that anymore. They might each have one or two, but I think those five or six books really sort of keep other people buying the other books in the line. 
but now they're all so expensive and the paper is so shitty that they're printed on. And it's just like, I don't know how, like, like my, my gut tells me they need to go back to using that like nice newsprint that like Jake and his friend used on their new book and just really starting to care about the product itself. And, you know, the only thing that sells comics is good comics. Like, yeah, some shitty comics sell really well, you know, but even like like when, yeah, but like when, when DC was putting out like the Watchmen movie or the V for Vendetta movie, like they sold like a million copies of each of those books, like before the movie, the month before the movie came out, because those are really good books. (laughs) Like (laughs) there, you can give them to anybody and I'll be able to understand it. We've gotten to this point with, superhero comics right now where it just feels like they're non-stop event machines and if you don't yeah. want to have to buy a bunch of books that you don't follow then you're going to feel lost a lot of the time like i'm actually the worst person to, to ask about this stuff because i would never if i ran marvel they would never do a crossover event they would publish like 20 books a month that were all really good books i my idea is make more with less like, why not try right. comics that each sell 100,000 copies instead of 70 comics and two of them sell 100,000 and, and you know, yeah. 68 of them sell 20,000, you know, most of which are just different covers. <laughs> like, it's just that whole thing of chasing all the different covers and all of that, that, that just doesn't compute to me at all. I was never a collector, so I don't mm-hmm. understand that side of the market, but I think catering to it too much you hear about these stores that bought 500 copies of a book so they could get some cover and then that that store goes out of business and it's like great let's let's just start decimating the market so well maybe they all have a crush they all have a crush on a different uh gwen stacy on the cover yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i feel like i feel like uh, a market needs to be really nurtured and the direct market is one of the greatest you know direct market saved comics and yeah you know, I feel like these companies need to nurture that market and and st- and understand what a great thing it actually is for them instead of sort of trying to bleed it dry, which is what I feel like we're in that that phase where. But I feel like that about almost every company in the world, out even outside of yes. comics. Like, try to read an article on your phone now while you're mm-hmm. like waiting in line for something, and it's just nonstop pop up ads. And remember yeah. when iPhones like. Up until two or three years ago, you never saw an ad on your iPhone yeah. for anything. But now it's like, we're the product, everything. It's Corey, uh, um, uh, what's the guy from Boing Boing? Uh, Dr. O. Yeah, Corey Dr. O said, yeah, he refers to it as in shittification. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. we're in that phase. And it's like, comics needs to avoid that somehow. And then the way to do that is just good comics that surprise people, that are fun or that are worth the money, you know, like products, like good books that are like hardback books, like that new Klaus book, like the paper is like, my God, you could take pieces of the paper out and murder people with it. It's so <laughs> you know, like, And like our books. There's a plot we, of your next graphic novel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like our books, we, you know, we print, uh, now we print in China because printing prices went up so much in like America and Canada, but but like we print on really good paper with like, you know, we put out a really good product. I want like a book that looks good on someone's shelf that they actually care about. And, you know, I guess I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that we ended up in a place, you know, at image and me and Sean just doing our own thing forever. And just, we just sort of keep our heads down and, and make our books. 
but we also made a deal where we always got to choose the paper. We always got to design the book ourselves. Like the product itself is really important to us. And, you know, like I just wish that Marvel and DC uh, would take more pride in that part of it. You know, like DC does to some degree, like they have black label, which those books look really good and are oversized. Good, yeah. And, you know, so DC still has that connection to the, the sort of art side of it. Like, you know, they don't have vertigo anymore, but they still, you know, they still understand that you can make these kind of evergreen, weird upscale products and do well with them. It but is funny to be like, to have a separate imprint. It's like DC, the good ones. Yeah. The good ones. <laughs> you're going to want to hold on. Well, to it's, it's like when you're, when you, I always thought like Vertigo was for people who were tired of reading superhero comics or something, but they weren't, they didn't want to stop reading monthly color comics because back then, like all the alternative comics were like black and white, you know? Yeah. So they still liked the, they still wanted to read something that sort of was in the same realm. They wanted adventure stories or mystery stories. Uh, they didn't just want, you know, stories about me, like walking down the street, being depressed, um, you <laughs> know, or, or, you know, stuff like that. But, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it, I'm, I'm, I've been following some of this discussion about like how the industry is doing, you know, and I wish I had an answer. I think, you know, like, like Brevoort, I think probably comics will, will come out the other side of this, but, and I know from people I know who are working at Marvel and DC that there are a lot of big plans for next year for, both of these companies that I think will be things people get really excited about. But um, yeah, it's, it's something that, that we all talk about from time to time. And, you know, I really, I don't know. It's hard for me not to really think that, that some of these companies, I, I don't want to point fingers too much, but some of these companies have really kind of abused the market instead of nurturing it. And then they try to, stand there and be like, well, you know, times are tough. And it's like, well, you know, times aren't tough. You made them tough. Yeah, but right. Exactly. There's this whole thing of like, like I get a little, when I hear people at these companies say stuff like that, it's just kind of like, well, no, you, you had a great thing and then you couldn't just be okay with it at the level that it was at. Everyone always has to try to push for more. I remember when Marvel raised the prices from three to $4 and just overnight like disney bought them and then the next day they raised the prices because they wanted to have a really big first quarter at, like at disney and we would yeah. go to comic conventions and just hear non-stop complaints from our fans that they had to spend four dollars on a comic all of a sudden and we'd yeah. go back to them and tell them that stuff and they're like ah we won't lose as many sales as we make the extra money and it was like well we did actually yeah. like we went down more than 25 percent in sales because people were like yeah i don't want to spend four dollars on a single issue that's 20 pages so yeah i well, just but that that gets into know. what you were talking about earlier with the pop-up ads and cory doctorow i mean i work yeah. during the daytime at digital media and without calling up my company or any other company yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's this it's this game where it's like Oh, we put up some ads less people are looking at it because the web pages look like crap now how are we going to make that money up more ads and yeah i think it's the same thing it's that addicting. you're saying yeah it's this endless stuff. cycle i feel like mm -hmm. we're all trapped in this endless cycle i'm i just i cannot wait for uh twitter to just finally actually die like i, I just wonder what will happen to the, the landscape of the internet without like that sort of one social media space that you know is such a shitty place but that 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 had this brief moment of feeling like this really kind of 
important, interesting place. And then oh, we the all town heard, square. Yeah, the supposed town square. But I mean, it, it was best before it was the town square when it was just a bunch yeah. of people just sort of talking about stuff they liked and making dumb jokes and, you know. But then it it became just people screaming at each other at some point. And, you know, I feel like I stayed years too long at that point of just where you'd log in and immediately just your blood pressure would start going up just based on, you know, things people were saying. And And it shouts to our users on Twitter. uh, Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I, I feel like there are friends that I met on there, you know, that I'm still friends with and I'm really happy for like the good things that came out of Twitter. But I definitely think the, the bad of, of, uh, of it outweighed the good in the long run. And, you know, like I've made a joke the other day, I'm like, I don't want to argue in favor of gatekeepers, but you know, it would have been nice for someone to keep all the totally insane people in the internet from finding each other immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, or like partition them off. (laughs) Like, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Like that used to be harder in the days of zines. <laughs> you know, you just. Yeah. Um, we got a couple of, uh, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> uh, we really ha- do have a couple of questions and comments from YouTube that I wanted to bring up um, before we run out here. Oh, this is from Liam. One of my favorite creators and some of my favorite YouTubers on one video. I'm saving this and watching you guys at work. Please tell Ed I love his reckless and criminal series and kill or be killed. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. nice. Uh, this is, where was that? There we go. This is from Nat. Ed, uh, this is about where the body was. Would you ever turn this into an audio drama or write an original audio drama? Mm. Um, I don't think I would turn this into an audio drama, although I don't know, actually. I guess, I, I don't know. Audible, call me. Um, <laughs> uh, that'd be, it'd be more, I'm, I'd be more interested in it being an audio book than, than selling it on Kindle. <laughs> as a as a graphic <laughs> I'm 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 really on the verge of just stopping digital releases of our books until the paperbacks are out just because I I'm just so annoyed at at uh, the digital versions of things like mm. comicsology at least was readable but but I feel like I don't know there's something now about about the digital stuff that when we put out the last book like the day of release like halfway through the day Amazon took our book was 25 bucks and amazon priced the kindle at 9.99 for some reason for like a day and you're like wait what (laughs) you're undercutting our our price so that really annoyed me um but yeah i don't know uh i'm too busy to write an original audio drama but but i like stuff like that a friend of mine uh, took a book she had started writing and turned it into one and it it came out really good Hmm. um so maybe uh, this is from Kevin. Speaking of bookshelves, what's on Ed's? A lot of books. Lots of stuff. <laughs> <A> lot of <laughs> books. <laughs> um, I have the Fargo uh, collection for the TV show, some screenplays, nice. a book about Gary Shandling, uh, oh, yeah. a collection of Joan Didion essays, just way too much stuff. All the Dashiell Hammett uh, Continental Ops stories. This is, this yeah. is not all my books this is just the ones i've got on this shelf in this room (laughs) when you get when you get the horizontals on top of the verticals you know yeah that's yeah i'm i'm in the process of sort of going through i'm in i'm in the do i want to give this to someone or read it again phase of of my life where i'm trying to 
I live in a kind of a, a small house for part of the year and, and I want to have all the books that I want with me all the time. So I'm trying to, to consolidate my bookshelves a little bit, which is painful as a lifelong book collector. Yeah. <laughs> How do you throw those books away? I actually, I, I used to donate stuff to the library and then I found out they don't put them on the shelves. They sell them at library sales. And I'm like, wait, really? Wow. Yeah. So oh, I, just, I just, I just donate books to like really good used bookstores now. Like there's one in LA, yeah, the cool. Iliad bookstore. That's like one of the best used bookstores ever. And there's one yeah. um, near where I live that is still in operation where I, every now and then I go in and find some really weird old paperback book that I was looking for in the mid eighties. I'm like, Yes, use bookstores. Yeah, like yeah, it's like there. I'm really nostalgic for that. I'm trying to sort of go back to a, a, as much of an analog life as I can for someone who spends a, a good portion of their day in front of a computer. So like, <laughs> that's the great thing about being a comic reader, though, is like, like I definitely have read a lot of comics on my computer or on an iPad, but the comics that I really lose myself in are like the, you know, big, like right now I'm really digging the um, Watership Down graphic novel that oh, just got wow. released a couple weeks ago. And that is like, it's like a 500 page adaptation of, of a 500 page book. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, Very sad at the end. Just Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I saw the movie as a child, but my dad told me like right before the movie started, oh, by the way, this is not a kid's movie. <laughs> so, so to me i always thought it was one yeah. of the greatest movies my wife was taken to it she's a few years younger than me and she went to see it in the theater too and her mom thought it was a kid's movie so oh, she no. thinks it's the scariest movie that's ever been made i remember being <laughs> traumatized by that movie as a kid yeah. i mean it's cute bunnies living i was like of course i read the book yeah i had the book read to me first and i was like well, every day i was like wow how can this it's, it's lord of the rings with bunnies basically 100%. It's so horrifying to see rabbits killing each other but um you know yeah but yeah. but you know that's like an experience where you have to sit there with a hardback book and you really kind of lose yourself in it mm -hmm. and it's so i i find like I can't even have my phone near me when I'm reading anymore because like your phone buzzes and you look at it and you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, like I used to have concentration. Like what happened? So right. it's like the only time yeah. I have concentration now is when I block everything out so that I can get writing done. And then it's like con an, an enormous amount of input after that. So it's like, I'm reading and have the TV on and I'm listening to music. Like what yeah, the hell is going on here? Broken and, uh, I, I want to ask you sort of about the, <laughs> Uh, opposite experience, whatever you can comment on, and maybe you won't be able to comment on, but I was curious about updates on a couple of projects. Oh, sure. Mind. Uh, Batman Cape Crusader, I believe you were announced as head writer of that last yeah, yeah. year. Are you yeah. still on that at this point now that it's at Amazon? Um, no, they're, they, I think they, I wrapped on that before they even announced, I think, well, hmm. I think they announced me while we were still working on it, but yeah, we, I was, I was done on that about a year and a half ago, probably. Um, I'm still like my, like the actual writing of it. Like we, you know, there was some post, uh, post writing stuff, but yeah, I'm, I'm seeing like, uh, like early cuts of episodes now, uh, for, for most of that stuff, but I wasn't able to go back for season two because, uh, partly the strike, but also uh, working on uh, some a movie and a TV show at, Am at uh, Amazon. Mm. Well, I think that gets into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Criminal, yeah. 
uh, is maybe at Amazon. Maybe you're doing that as a TV show. We are working on it as a TV show. Uh, thing, there should be some announcements coming out about progress on that in the next, hopefully this week, maybe next week. I don't know. Wow. But, but it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all looking really positive right now. So fingers and crossed. And is that both you and Sean are involved in it, or is it just you and Sean consulting? Um, well, I'm, I'm like the showrunner. I have a co-showrunner. This guy Jordan Harper, who's an amazing crime writer. He, he actually has his novel just got listed as like the in the top like 10 crime novels of the year in the New York times yesterday. Um, he did this book, everybody oh, wow. knows. And Jordan, I read his books. And uh, when this show got set up, uh, my exec, uh, Matt King at, at Amazon, like the first thing I said was, well, can I get Jordan? Can I get Jordan Harper? Like, <laughs> and uh, cause he, cause he was already talking to him about something else. And so he sort of, took him off of another project and gave him to me to be my oh, co-show owner. Awesome. So um, and we put together a team last December, January. And so we've did like, uh, we're, we still have a few weeks left in the writing room uh, for the first season, but we're, we're essentially like almost done writing the whole first season of the oh, show. Wow. Um, exactly. So, you know, assuming all, assuming all things keep going the direction they are, you know, but it's Hollywood, so you know. <laughs> know. I've been close yeah, a few yeah. times. This this feels more real than than it's ever felt before. But you know, until I see announcements and in, in trades and, or really until I see it nowadays, until you see it actually airing. Though yeah, Amazon is yeah, I mean, I did work on the Batman show, which you know, yeah. up until the day that they canceled the show off of Max, they were telling us it was going to be on HBO Max, and there was a hundred percent no chance that we were not going to get, you know. And then one day they called us up and they were like, "So David Zaslav canceled the show, but yeah. we're not going to stop production. We're just going to sell it somewhere else." And then we sold it to Amazon like a week later. Yeah. So. Um, Amazon seems, I mean, this is just from talking to folks about it, very supportive of comic book writers, almost conversely to what they're oh. doing with comicsology <laughs> right now. But like between what you're saying with Criminal, we talked to Scott Snyder about his stuff on Witches, everything I mean, else. there's a lot. I think it's the executives that have ended up there are just people who are really receptive to the material. Like I, I, have, I was on a deal at Legendary uh, before I was on my deal at Amazon. And the same guys that I, that I, you know, the same three people that I was working with at, at Legendary basically moved over to Amazon and kind of no, took over crazy. Amazon. Yeah. yeah, it was like the first, it was the only time a reshuffle at, at a company has ever yeah. come out <laughs> in my favor, actually. So, so I was just like, okay, I've been trying to do this for, you know, I've been going to LA and working on film and TV since the, you know, mid 2000s or early 2000s. And so... You know, I've worked on stuff that's I've worked on a lot of stuff that's gotten made at this point, but um, but yeah, this is this is really like the dream has always been not just to work on things that get made. A lot of that stuff like Westworld or Batman, like a lot of that was for the experience of doing it. Like the Batman thing was really like like you guys, I imagine. I'm you know, I'm like one of the hugest fans of BTAS and mm -hmm. like there's a specific there's two specific episodes of that that I think are like the best Batman things ever like and there's there's mo there was like 
Which, like, which what episodes? Are they? Which what are they? You got to say. <laughs> oh, okay. There's a, well, the one where, where the Scarecrow episode where, where Batgirl gets thrown off the roof and dies. Oh, of course. Like, terrifying. Like, terrifying as a kid. Yeah. Just like. I mean, I saw that when I was in my 20s and I was like, oh, this is one of the greatest Batman stories ever. And then there's the first one I ever saw was like an early, another Scarecrow one, I think, where where like it was maybe first season and Batman gets dosed basically and is just having an acid trip. And yeah. he sees his parents walking into a tunnel and then the tunnel becomes a gun barrel and a, and it and it oh, fires yeah. and a bullet comes out and then blood starts pouring out of the barrel and in fact they made them change it for the second airing they turned the blood into black and white because mm -hmm. it was but it, but the version i saw it was blood red and i was like wow holy shit how is this a kid show <laughs> <laughs> well, you know? we, were, we were interviewing bruce tim years ago and he was talking about the the batgirl scene and yeah. he said the first when they first did it she fell and you know she looked hurt and everything they were like, mm, let's not do that. Let's just have the rope hang in the air. And I was like, that's so much more terrifying to a kid. Because <laughs> yeah. you rope hangs in the air and she crashes onto her the hood of her dad's car, yeah. 80 floors below. <laughs> You're like, first of all, she would have killed everyone in that car, but yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, no, uh, that was that, but so like when that show got announced, I I had somehow assumed that they would have already like done a whole writer's room or whatever they did. And and I just reached out to Bruce Tim and asked if I could freelance an episode. Cause I just, it was like a bucket list thing. Like I gotta, uh, I gotta if they're going to make more, more BTAs or more Bruce Tim Batman, I gotta see if I can do one. And, um, and then Bruce was like, well, what do you, how about just, you know, come on and be like the showrunner head writer. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Good email. Like, nice email. You know, yeah, I, I did it, but it was, it was super fun actually. Like I brought my best friend uh, is this writer, Hallie Gross that I met on Westworld and she works on, she wrote the, um, co-wrote the second last of us game. And, and uh, so I brought her on to work on it and we worked on a TV show with Nicholas Reffin together before, um, but I couldn't get her for criminal because she's working on the last of us TV show now. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, she did. We, everybody in the writer's room were like two episodes. And then I, we freelanced a couple and I got Mark Bernardin to write one and Greg Rucka to write uh, the other one. Uh, Greg Rucka actually so wrote, awesome. wrote episode two, which is like the first Renee Montoya episode. Ooh, that's oh, that's it's it's a lot different than I'll warn you guys. It's a lot different than BTAS. It's, it's very much a reconception of, you know, just sort of starting over, like doing, uh, it's, it's PG. Like when we first started, we were, we were told we could do PG 13, which, you know, I was like, Oh my God, is someone going to say shit in a Batman cartoon? But yeah. no, it's not PG 13. Um, but, but, uh, but it's definitely, it's, it's a lot different. It's like, it's, it's sort of like the, the show Bruce Tim always wanted to make, but that they yeah. wouldn't let him make. So like, there's a lot more like, you know, people actually getting punched on camera and the, and like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but it's, it's like everyone, everyone will kill me if I say it, but it's kind of noir. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's definitely a different take that I think, I think, I hope people will love, but I think well, people will also be shocked by some things. Mm. So you're saying the gun blood is red? Is what we can say? <laughs> I mean, Batman's just murdering people left now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, that makes me yeah. feel good. A um, couple of quick things to ask you about. 
before we let you go, uh, just sort of status of these things from a while ago. Killer Be Killed. We haven't heard about that media-wise in a while. Yeah, that didn't work out um, with that produce production company for the film. Um, and so those, those rights all came back to us on that. And, um, you know, hopefully... Uh, we'll try and figure out a way to maybe turn that into a TV show or a movie, you know, I've got this deal at Amazon to, to adapt more stuff. So we'll see. But that's uh, definitely one I think would, would, could become something. Uh, Velvet, same sort of thing. Uh, that one. Uh, yeah. Does the rights got tied up for a long time and now we're just sort of trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, but there's been a lot of interest in it over the years. Uh, Maniac Cop. I know that's one that seems to be oh, like, it's Cop? dead, it's back, it's dead, it's back. Yeah, I have no idea, honestly. I haven't <laughs> talked to Ref in about a year. Um, like, it got greenlit at HBO at one point. I I had written a movie version of it, and then I and then I uh, worked with Refn and this other friend of ours to sort of figure out a way to take some of the movie script and, and then sort of do a rewrite on and sort of turn it into the pilot episode of uh, like a mini, like an eight episode thing instead. And so I did that just sort of on spec for him while we were working on the TV show. Um, and so it'd be great if something happened with that, but then like, I feel like it got announced and then like a month later, basically like everyone in the world was like, Hey, maybe not everything that's like about cops. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I have a hard time seeing a world where, where Max especially makes a show called maniac cop. Yeah. But we were leaning in very hard to the, um, to like the expectations of what that would be. And like the tension of the moment, like the opening scene is, the opening like five pages of that of that pilot version are fucking terrifying and also <laughs> hilarious. It's like kind of like a black comedy, but that you know you. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't think anything will ever happen with it if, if I'm being really honest. But we'll see. It's reffing, so you never know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that always figure out a way to get somebody to give him money to make a thing. <laughs> I mean, on that note, <laughs> last thing know. I'll ask you about: When are we going to see too old to die? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think that will happen. I did, <laughs> I did. Uh, we did talk at one point about doing like a movie sequel with uh, the Yuritsa character because we loved her, um, and then we started talking about some ideas for that. But yeah, I don't, I don't think. Uh, given the the fact that people seemed to really be horrified by that show when it came out <laughs> for, for for a variety of reasons um i it was it's like the the weirdest fucking streaming show that ever got made i think it, it, <laughs> at least it's in like the top three like weirdest streaming shows that's also just like it's like nine art films kind of in a way like it's it's so hard to describe to people when i tell people to watch it because nick intended for you to be able to watch it in any order so when i tell people to watch it i always am like if you want to see like exactly what i wrote watch the first 20 minutes of episode six because it's all in spanish and so nick couldn't get really tired of what they were saying because he didn't know what yeah. they were saying. so so he just shot exactly what was what was in the script but like he's so like he's such a like 
artist on set like he never just does what's in the script he always is like by the time he's on set getting ready to shoot it he's he's like gotten he's read it 150 times and is like you know what the scene he's boring sick of it like, exactly yeah, he's like he's, you gotta he's do read something. it 150 times <laughs> like yeah. but you know he always tries to come up with something that is like okay well what what's different here what's surprising what what's jarring what's you know what's going to really shake people and you know i really love that about him that he's like just obstinately an artist like he was so thrilled that drive got sued for not being fast and the furious <laughs> like that was yeah. an actual lawsuit that someone was like mm -hmm. this trailer made it seem like it would be there would be car chases <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah I, I love that guy he's a he's a total lunatic yeah it, it's captivating and the fact that he can still get that cache to make stuff amazing he's yeah he's he's uh i mean drive is one of the best crime films that yeah. ever got made you know and i love i love most of his stuff really um but yeah he's uh the there's a character in in night fever um the rainer character is sort of my sort of crazed homage to him uh that i wanted awesome. to to sort of have a have a crazed european dragging a guy into terrible situations over and over again i was like that feeling with refin of like yeah you're the what guy are you getting right? me into now yeah. <laughs> um before we let you go just to get back to comics obviously this book like we talked about it's coming out next week and then a week month yeah. later in bookstores but are you and Sean already onto the next thing? Are you working on? One oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be done probably end of January with our next book, mm. um, wow. which uh, is a. Uh, it's kind of like a a crime thriller, uh, but also sort of about the Satanic Panic. Mm. So right. timely. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's where we're at. It's called uh, yeah. It's called Houses of the Unholy. And uh, yeah, I've seen, I, I, uh, I don't know how to share my screen or I could show you the cover, but it'll be out. It'll be announced soon. Probably. I guess awesome. we just announced it on your podcast. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that should be out oh. next summer. So it's like, we're, we're still on like summer and Christmas. Like our, my goal now is that we always get one, a book out in early December. So one of our, our books can always be someone's Christmas present that they, that they uh, give. That's awesome. give. Cause you know, like, we actually, one of the things that we started doing uh, when we started doing, I think we, the first time was maybe Junkies or Pulp. We do like these signed book plates uh, for stores that order like a certain amount of copies uh, on first on initial orders can like get these signed book plates from us. And for the new book, we actually apparently underestimated demand. So we're, we're having uh, to do a bunch more. So I was like, oh, well, I, guess that's good <laughs> yeah, that's so amazing. yeah i really and then i realized like oh we're we're putting this thing out in comic book stores like right at christmas shopping season and you know it's got a big white and red cover <laughs> great gift and are you are you still able to work with jacob phillips give it he's now very in demand we love that texas blood yeah and all the other stuff he's doing gang. Yeah. i don't think jake is allowed to quit so he'll just have to fit us <laughs> okay. in like i mean yeah. it's his dad what's he gonna do right <laughs> like, Can't go against no, that. I, that my biggest fear is that jake will get too busy uh us switching to graphic novels was actually good for him because then he only has to stop like like you know twice a year he just spends like you know 
three or four weeks coloring a book and, you know, and then drawing some of his own stuff on the side at the same time. But, um, you know, I really feel like he's probably the most unique colorist in comics and definitely one of the best, but also, but no one colors like him. Like, I just love how he sort of, he looked at what Betty did and what Dave did on our stuff. And then he just kind of took the parts of that that worked and then added this crazed punk art school, you know, Manchester vibe to, to everything. And I just love it. Like when I look at others at other books now, I'm just like, everyone's coloring in the lines. What's wrong with them? Yeah. <laughs> crazy, like us. It's awesome. Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for chatting. Again, so love great. the book. I uh, can't oh, wait. Great. For thank you for having me. me. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, no, this was a lot of fun, guys. Great podcast. Right, we'll see. We'll see you next summer, and then next December, and then next summer, yeah. and then the next <laughs> until uh, until we die. Yeah. <laughs> until, one of, until one of us can't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Thanks, Ed. Have a great <laughs> night. <laughs> see you later, Ed. Bye. All right, there we go. Ed Brubaker. You can check out where the body was, December thirteenth, in comic book stores, and then January sixteenth. So in non-comic bookstores, just regular bookstores. Also known as bookstores, yeah. Oh, I guess so. Uh, legit bookstores is what I wanted to say, but I feel like that unlegitimizes the comic bookstores is the problem. That's good. All stores should have books in them. I agree. And folks, we're going to move on with our next section, which is my second favorite section after this interview we just had. It's time for your audience question. Yeah. Over on YouTube or Twitter, Twitter slash X because they don't do that. Oh, you can't yeah. hear me? Couldn't for a while, but now you're sounding solid. Oh, oh sweet. Uh, well, I'm going to turn this music off because that was probably the problem. But uh, have you moved on? I'm still nursing my whipped cream. I thought this was going to melt into the bourbon. It's still going hard. Staying strong. You really hard whipped that. I finished mm-hmm. mine very good and I moved on to a uh, Pills Mafia. Uh, shouts to the Buffalo Bills and their mafia of pills. Nice. Pouring a little more and that whipped cream floated right to the top. This drink is very good, by the way. Very uh, good. I just wanted yeah. to re-emphasize it. Bourbon, I use the Luxardo Maraschino. Uh, the cream. It's a real, like, like lay down and go to bed. <laughs> I, I felt myself falling asleep a little bit during that interview, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't because it was so fascinating. Oh, nice. Way to um, uh, find the compliment in there. Mm -hmm. Yep, I came around to it. Let's get to some questions here. We have at least one from Pablo. Has anyone seen the trailer for GTA 6? Great trailer. Uh, Nice. I haven't, but I actually read a little bit about it. And uh, just the unbelievable amount of people that have already watched the trailer that that have bought the previous game. So... This this is what we should all be working on. Is Are, have you uh, were you a GTA guy? Were you a Grand Theft Auto guy at all? I've always been a Nintendo guy, so yeah. I'm exclusively playing. I'm deep into Super Mario Wonder, uh, really enjoying that. Um, that I'm playing now with and sort of competing with my seven year old daughter, who Ooh. is actually pretty surprisingly. She's caught up to me uh, in the game. <laughs> okay. Uh, worrisome in a worrisome way, or I'm like, she's like the Fred Savage and Wizard. I've gotten old. Yeah, uh, I was a GTA guy for a while, very into the games. I definitely liked Vice City a lot, but San Andreas was the one that I was obsessed with. That just mm, had that yes. amazing 
like 90s hip hop soundtrack that was playing on the radios the entire time. Awesome. Spent so many hours playing that game. Um, I don't know about this one. I mean, I certainly don't have like an advanced whatever where they're on to PlayStation 5, PlayStation 6, something like that. Um, that is yeah. not my thing. I'm also more of a Nintendo guy. Um, but it looks good. I do think it's a weird. I don't I feel like the world has moved on from Grand Theft Auto, kind of. Like, I don't know if it's the right time to be releasing a game where it's people blowing up cars and shooting each other in the face and stuff like that. <laughs> but I don't know, could be wrong. I guess we'll see what happens. Nice. This is from Kevin. What is your favorite media-induced childhood trauma? And have you made your kids watch it yet? Mm. Uh, great question. No, sort of avoiding the traumatic stuff um, for now. I think uh, one of them was definitely um, almost all of Nothing But Trouble. The uh, oh, comedy. That movie is a nightmare. That movie is a nightmare, and it actually did traumatize me. We saw, sort of in that same vein, we saw The Burbs in the theater, and that was uh, scary at points, definitely. Mm -hmm. I was too young to be seeing that when I saw it. Um, Most yeah. of the stuff that, I don't know if it traumatized me as a kid, but definitely scared me as a kid. My kids, when we watch it, are like, they turn to me in the most derogatory way, say, you were scared of that? Just because- wow. That's yeah. uh, that's badass. It's also adding shame to your one hundred percent. Like in Ghostbusters, I warned them. I said, "Hey, just so you know, the library ghost is pretty scary." And she came out and was like, "You were scared of that, Dad? What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Okay, it was a different time. It was a different time. We thought ghosts existed at that point, and this looked real to me. It was like a documentary." The other one. Dan, I thought you always said that you ain't afraid of no ghosts, but you're I, afraid of that ghost. I was, in fact. The other one recently, I feel like I mentioned this on a Week Geek podcast, but when I was a kid and Gremlins was coming out, my friends... Oh, you all, talk about is Gremlins, dude. You love I love, Gremlins. I love Gremlins. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, had uh, told me about the scene of the kitchen where the Gremlin gets blended up and the other one explodes in the microwave. And they're like, oh, it's so gross. It's so scary. So when I went to see Kremlins with my parents, I told my mom beforehand, I said, I don't want to see this. You've got to take me out of the theater when that happens. And I have such a distinct memory. Uh, I, down to I know where the movie theater is and it's still there in Queens. We went in Queens for some reason. And I remember my mom took me out of the lobby. We stood there just at the lobby silently for like five minutes. And then she looked at it. She's like, okay, they're not in the kitchen anymore. And then we went back and watched the rest of the movie. And when we watched Gremlins, I told my kids this. I was like, hey, it wasn't that I was scared about this. It was that my friends told me it was scary, so I didn't see it. And they still did the exact same thing when they came on the seat. They're like, this isn't scary what are you why were you scared and i was like i said i wasn't scared how dare you now are they be able to hear you when they're dipping your head into the toilet uh your children um I'm in not, between the swirlies i mean i don't know because my underwear was over my head at that point because they yeah, wedged of course. you it's atomic that's so atomic Stray Bullet says, Brubaker mentioned things you may regret, like drinking too much. I've never regretted drinking too much. Have either of you regretted drinking too much, and why? I get this question a lot, and um, I don't ever regret it galactically. I definitely regret it um, when in the morning, uh, I guess, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I definitely haven't had wine coolers since Slope Day at Cornell on freshman year. 
That was mm, the yes. uh, last day of class when everybody got drunk on a slope. Haven't had wine cooler since. So that's nice. Uh, the first time I ever got drunk, I drank like 15 shots of vodka at my friend's uh, college and barfed in a pillowcase while his mom was driving us back to my hometown. <laughs> yeah, that's a that was a regret. Oh, that, that's another time that I regret it is when we got the show with uh oh yes that was fantastic <laughs> uh we got the show with nerdist that was being produced by broadway video and the producer took us out drinking it was great like we had a fabulous time but we've told the story a million times but every single time he was like should we get it more shots and i was like mm-hmm. shots. because i was so drunk by that point I it, we also I, like we went down the line. I was like, yes, and I think Pete maybe had left at that point, and then I pointed to you, and you were like, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I legitimately, and I regret this to this day, got one block away from home and threw up all over a cab, and I felt so bad. Lost my phone. The next morning, my daughter at that point was I don't know. I want to say one maybe not even yeah something like that and i was the primary caregiver and she was like point. would you barf you wuss <laughs> no i called my parents and i was like i was so sick please come take care of her they're like oh i'm so sorry do you have a fever and i was like uh-huh yep that's okay, what's so going on fever. Yeah. really it bad fever. Like a brewery in here. <laughs> Uh, this is from Obvious Soul Art Show. Justin, did you ever play Animal Crossing New Horizons? And if so, can we visit your island? I never played that. Um, I I feel I feel shame that I haven't because that would be a fun uh, place to hang out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never never could. Get, I can't get into that. those type of games yeah. where it's just like mobile games like that. I'll play them for two weeks and then delete the game. But to yeah. buy a game where it's just hanging out on an island, I can't do that. I need. Gold. I mean, let me be honest. The, the the I have both Zelda games for the Switch, and because they're such like hang wander hangs, mm-hmm. I haven't gotten into them yet. Yeah, it is funny. I was telling my son earlier because he was asking me about Grand Theft Auto, actually, uh, where I was like, "Oh, actually, that was kind of a hang game for me, where I didn't really bother with the missions. I just <laughs> drive around and run people over." And... Yeah. Have a good time. Uh, this is from Stanley. Any fun holiday plans this year? Uh, going into the holidays uh, this month, I'm doing a live show in New York and L.A. based on the travel show that I did, um, 101 Place to Party Before You Die. On the 12th, December 12th here in New York in Brooklyn, uh, we're doing a live show. And then in L.A. on the 16th. So that will be a fun. Uh, That's awesome. Couple plans. Yeah. I, I am excited you guys are doing that. Uh, this is from Nelson Kelso. Oh, I didn't say my holiday plans. No, I don't have any yeah. holiday plans. Uh, <laughs> Nelson Kelso, this uh, question, I got to be honest, uh, feels like harassment. Uh, Alex, did you yeah. ever get back to the Scott Pilgrim game? No, I haven't gotten past the second level yet. Okay. I Have, have you tried? Are you, having, are you struggling? No, I haven't tried. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Justin, wow. what was your strategy? Because it's definitely not an easy game. And who did you guys pick? I had to go out with Scott. Yes, I also did Scott. Uh, what about you? Um, I did Ramona for a long time. And then later I switched to Scott. Uh, but strategy-wise, you just got to punch those people, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, very much like River City Ransom, if you haven't played it, a classic Nintendo game that I love. So I have a lot of experience 
pressing the punch and kick buttons really quickly, mm-hmm. which maybe is something, Alex, you could uh, work on. Not really. I'm more of an Animal Crossing guy. Uh, nice. You don't have to punch and kick Harley at all as you're designing your turnip area. Uh, but it did take some time. You know, I stayed up very, very late for no good reason, just playing that for many days. Awesome. Uh, maybe I'm taking a week off in like two weeks, so maybe I'll actually finish that game. We'll see what yes. happens. As a follow-up, when does the podcast return? Scott Pilgrim versus the podcast. We've got two episodes of Takes Off to finish. Uh, people have been traveling. We've been off for weekends and stuff, but we're 100% going to finish it. That is not. Yes, uh, very soon. This week, I think we'll definitely get at least one done. And let me, because I'm doing them one by one, I haven't watched the finale. Oh my God. So okay. I'm dying to record this. <laughs> these All right, we'll episodes. do it. We'll, we'll definitely catch up. We're also going to do the video game. Uh, maybe we'll figure out some other stuff to do. I've been having fun talking about it. It's from Nat Townsend. If you could turn any Ed Brubaker comic into a GTA game, which book? And who would voice the main character? Wow. Uh, oof. I don't know. Uh, I mean, this is a little bit of a cheat, but he did Gotham Central, right? Like, uh, Yeah, wow. That is definitely a cheat. Yes. So you're just saying have it be GTA? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, GTA Gotham. in Gotham? That would be awesome. I will, I will say, I mean, this is the opposite thing, but while we're talking about video games, they just put up the Arkham Asylum trilogy on Switch for 60 bucks for all three games. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I still got to finish the Scott Pilgrim game, but I really want to do that. I, I played the second oh. game back in the day, and it's so good. Um, that's fun. I have not... Uh... I've not played any of those for real, for real, for real. So that'd be mm. fun. What about um, a, a game for Fatal? I think that's a good, mm. like a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that could be fun. Yeah. Or Kill or Be Killed. I know we were talking about that earlier. That's a little more superhero-y, but that would be super fun. Easy or the Fade says- Out. A, a Hollywood writer. Let's do the Fade Out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Easy Reader says, hi, guys, are King Kong and Godzilla going to be a permanent part of the DC universe? No, the Justice League versus Godzilla and Kong story is an out of continuity story. They've said that up front. Um, So there you go. Uh, Stray Bullet has a really uh, inappropriate question. Didn't you also throw someone in traffic, Alex? Look, that was just one booth man one time. Uh, Frederica Rosa says, what did you guys think about What If Season 2 coming out daily? So this is coming out December 22nd through December 30th, nine episodes over nine days. Weird strategy, I think. Like, I understand the thought process there. But I feel like what if is the wrong series to do it with? Well, and what is the strategy, though, to like keep it, try to own the holiday conversation mm-hmm. and make it a thing like the uh, what was that uh, murder show that was on years ago that actually dominated uh, catching a killer or something? The one in Wisconsin. Either way, it, it, it did do that. But I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't know if what if can do that. And I don't know if like. Is that really going to keep people on the service, which is sort of the point of all this? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The problem is the animated stuff. I Mind you, I love animation, but animated stuff doesn't get nearly the viewers that live action stuff does. If they did nine episodes of Loki over nine days, that would be an event. They'd also be tossing it out very quickly, frankly. But 
nine episodes of what if is if you're going to watch it what if you will watch what if and that's pretty much it but but also like what if such a specific premise concept like i want space i want to be able to like mm-hmm. digest it unless they're tying it together much more this season which i hope they aren't doing i i actually think didn't they are like, though i think they're i didn't is, like that yeah it should be standalone I feel like maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like Iman Vellani said that Miss Marvel is a central character in What If Season 2. Sounds like there's some sort of overall plot thing going on there. Don't like it. Whatever, we'll cover it on our podcast. We got one last one here. Have you guys seen the Suicide Squad anime trailer? I'm excited for that. Um, I have not. I have also not, but uh, that sounds dope. Yeah. There we go. All right, folks. Unfortunately, we do not have trivia because Pete is not That's here. Pete's thing. That's also, Pete's we are, we've talked so long with Ed, so, you know. We did, we did. So we got to wrap up here. Before we do, though, new comic books are coming out. Justin, what are you excited for that is coming out this week? Oh, great question. There's so much to talk about. Uh, I Alex, what do you say? Yeah, I'll throw out a couple while you're looking through the list. I have been pretty psyched to check out Batman Santa Claus Silent Night is coming out. Mm. This is a actually in canon story of Santa Claus is one of Batman's old mentors. And I, conversely to what we were saying with What If, I think this is a great experiment for comic books. DC is releasing one issue a week for four weeks over December, which feels like... That tracks. Yeah, what a great Christmas themed fun book with a ridiculous premise it's written by jeff parker who is great so excited for that and two marvel books i'm very intrigued by thunderbolts number one which is from lansing Mm. and kelly picking up on their great captain america run so interested to see that and also the century number one is coming out century books are always very interesting and delve into mental health yeah i feel like this one is probably not going to do that i'm curious to see if they do give some sort of twist in some way um, I've enjoyed pretty much every Century mini series or series that they've done. So fascinating to see what happens here. Justin? Uh, I got to shout out Sacrificers number five, the Remender book, which has been sort of slow building a uh, big world and a mythology, um, dark, dark takes around this world where uh, someone from uh, different families in different villages have to go to the capital and be sacrificed for the greater good and there's just a lot of details coming out on in each issue really enjoying that and uh birds of prey number four i think has been just by kelly thompson loving that beautiful art by leonardo romero and one other one i was going to say and that one is transformers number three by daniel warren johnson i can't believe how emotional these oh my god you're really just they're a bunch of cars fighting and you love them you love them to fucking debt yeah all right that is it for this week's show a couple of people where the body was december 13th in comic book stores january 16th in bookstores next week on the show we got a packed one austin mckinley is going to be here to talk about riot force taz mokinek to talk about lost time and joe nicklo to talk about surviving comics don't forget to talk, check out as we mentioned sir scott pilgrim versus the podcast 
Comic Book Club News, our daily news show. Patreon.com slash Comic Book Club to support the show and all the shows we do. You can subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice. Wherever you're listening, honestly, I don't care. At Comic Book there Live on Twitter slash X. Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Club. Good night, everybody. credit card bill.